to any customer or client who is credible and really wants to have a healthy relationship with his or her friend financiers or their financiers. The biggest fear is, are we able to repay as and when due? Right. Once that concern is addressed, it becomes easier for them to digest the idea mm. of taking a loan. This is the Express Pod, where we focus on emerging technologies, trends, and their impact on business landscapes in Nigeria and across Africa. SMEs play a major role in most economies. Of course, according to the World Bank, they represent about 90% of businesses and more than 50% of employment worldwide. Specifically in emerging markets, SMEs serve as a backbone by contributing to economic growth. According to the 2020 Nigerian SME survey, which we conducted at PwC, SMEs in Nigeria contribute about 48% of our national GDP and account for 84% of our employment. So basically, no SME, no economy. But despite the significant contributions of SMEs to the Nigerian economy, there are a number of challenges that still persist and hinder the growth and development of the sector. For one, about half of registered SMEs don't have access to formal credits, according to the 2020 Nigerian SME survey. Coupled with tax challenges, the lack of entrepreneurial education, growing competition, infrastructural deficits, and of course, some of the macroeconomic obstacles. However, with the right policies, reforms, regulations, and infrastructure in place, this sector has the potential to transform the Nigerian economy. Taking advantage of technology, Primera delivers fast, convenient financial solutions to SMEs with the strong belief that the success of Nigeria's economy is contingent on their growth. To add insights to this conversation, we're joined by the MD of Primera MFB, Mr. Uwana Isang. Welcome, Uwana. Thank we're you happy so to, much. Happy to have you. Thank you so much. Right. Pleasure being here. Yes, you're welcome. And um, I'll be your host for today. My name is Bimbola Banjo. I'm a partner with uh, the management consulting practice in PwC, and I look after finance advisory for West Africa. So let's start with some background, Wana. Sure, um, of course. Tell me about your the primary journey so far. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. It's it's been a two year, two and a half year journey so far for me, and it's been hugely exciting. Um, journey primary, all I could see was huge opportunities. I mean, a huge opportunity set and a platform that um, one could leverage on to explore and deliver on those opportunities. And um, it's been really exciting getting to to know the people, manage the people, and um, grow the business, and also engage with the market. It, it's been fantastic. Very good, very good. Yeah. And so let's talk about Primera's offerings. So what do you guys do at Primera? Because um, we know that you have conventional products such as loans, deposits, which are the bread and butter of any MFB. But just tell us, well, how have you guys differentiated your processes, your experience? Um, in assessing these products um, or in delivering these products as a differentiator to what other financial institutions are doing? Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's a very interesting question. And the first, the first thing I'd like to say is we, we're operating in a highly commoditized market. Right. 
products and services are pretty much the same across because yeah. the platforms that help financial services institutions to deliver those products and services are democratized. Awesome. They are available to everybody. Absolutely. And in as much as we are very, very bullish and keen on leveraging on those platforms, we've realized that it's, it's become less about the products and services, but in, more around how we deliver them. Okay. how we engage and how we are able to get from our customers what their needs are. Okay. And within the context of the available capacities of those products and services, tweak them to meet their needs. Okay. So, I mean, for us, we consider ourselves to be partners for growth. Okay. And in realizing that we've, we've focused, we're focusing more on how Mm. We, we deliver and engage, realizing that no two businesses are the same, really. Absolutely. So we have a, a differentiated approach yeah. in terms of delivery and service. Okay, so speaking, okay, speaking more about um, this how you engage yeah. and deliver. Yeah. Tell us more about the how. So the how is is more around, first of all, you need to know your customer. Right. It's a cliche, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot that goes into that. Mm. What, what is the customer's dream? What are their ambitions? And are you then able to look back into your delivery systems and even in your, in, your internal processes, policies, to make sure that you are able to be nimble and you're able to deliver different experiences to different customers from the same platforms according to their differentiated needs? That's just... That's the way I would just couch it and, and envelope that that okay. particular point. Okay. Thank you very much. So we know that Primera caters to individuals and businesses alike. But I think we've, what we've noticed is that uh, you have a keen interest for for SMEs. Yes, we do. So yes, what, we what, do. what are your products tailored to them? So uh, the, the, the number one need from an SME in terms of financing is speed. Mm speed of service they typically they typically run their cash flows in daily weekly cycles and therefore the financial gaps that they experience you know present themselves in those ways okay. so what we've done is we have come up with systems and capacities that allow us to deliver that that need okay quickly mm -hmm. And that's at the at the point of need and how they want it. So that for us, that's that's how we've been able to provide that because when we really look at it, that is actually want what they need. So we have to ensure that our decisioning is done properly, accurately, according to all the prudential guidelines of banking. But that is done in a very very efficient, time efficient way, cost efficient way as well. Absolutely. And we're then able to, to meet that, that, uh, that number one need of our customers. Brilliant. I mean, I'm enjoying this so far. So, so, so tell, tell me, <laughs> you know, you know what we, we've seen that, um, angel financing, right? Yeah. Um, is what most, uh, SMEs use in starting up their businesses. Yeah. Right. So 48% of businesses in Nigeria, according to our recent survey, um, said they will prefer uh, private equity or debt financing to fund their businesses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but what we see today is that 48% actually use angel financing. Yes. Right? And of course, there's, a, there's also a clear cultural uh, predisposition against loans in Nigeria. Mm. Now, uh, that, that's arguable. It's an arguable fact. Yes, that, it is um, it's cultural. It's a cultural disp um, disposition against loans, right? Because I also see that a number of people are 
trying to they're beginning to be more open to taking loans. Exactly. Um, exactly. But just tell me, how have you been able to make loans appealing to SME business owners? Right. And maybe just what you also think about um what do you think can be done to remove the cultural stigma for those mm-hmm. who still have that Mm-hmm. Uh, bias mm-hmm. against against uh, mm-hmm. taking loans. Okay, so there are many there are, there are, there are different uh, dimensions towards you know addressing. Let me, let me start with the uh, the cultural predisposition. And yes, you said it's an arguable fact. I agree, mm-hmm. and um, I mean the facts support that view. Um, if you look at CBN data Q3 2021. Right, consumer loans rose by thirty-seven percent year on year mm-hmm. to two trillion naira, and that was driven by you know better credit appraisals and product diversifications offered by banks right. such as Primer Microfinance Bank. Right, in that same period, the CBN determined that Nigeria's MSME credit gap stood at six hundred and seventeen billion. Okay. The, the gap, so the. Available finance versus the addressable need, that gap was six one seven billion. So there's a massive untapped potential mm. for financing mm. in this market. Mm. And so that that clearly points to the fact that there's a strong appetite right. for loans. And in terms of even how that disposition or predisposition has evolved generation Mm -hmm. after generation. We find that whereas that cultural bias was strong two, Mm -hmm. three generations ago, Mm -hmm. today it's very much less so, Mm -hmm. right? And also it's driven by very pragmatic needs. The economy, the the population is growing Mm -hmm. very rapidly. So the demand for Mm -hmm. goods and services are growing. And so... 20, 30 years ago, whereas you could fund your business's balance sheets through, you know, family and friends right. funding, right. The, the the demand that's out there requires financing that's beyond the beyond capacity that's that can be provided by, right. you know. Because um, you also talked about 617 billion. Precisely. That's, that's huge. You know, so it's 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 something that has played very well into the relationship between service providers yeah. such as ours and the market. So to to the question around how we make you know loans appealing to customers, yeah. to any to any customer or client who is credible yeah. and really wants to have a healthy relationship with his or her friend financiers or their financiers, the biggest fear is: Are we able to repay as and when due? Right. Once that concern is addressed, it becomes easier for them to digest the idea Mm. of taking a loan because they know that, okay, like in the case of primary microfinance bank, there are various ways of working together to achieve full and final repayment as and when due. And I'll give you an example. During the COVID period, we saw that a lot of our customers were struggling because of the strong relationships we have with them, we were able to determine very clearly who was struggling and who wasn't. I mean, the numbers also showed very clearly, you know, that. And what we did was even within that whole lockdown scenario, we engaged with them Mm. and we were able to arrive at restructuring Mm. for quite a number of loans. We were able to also take certain haircuts on certain fees Mm. just to make sure that at the end of the day, 
the customer is able to come back and what they are, what they what they would be required to pay mm. is something that they would have the capacity to do right and so for us when when we say we are partners for growth yeah. that that thinking and that philosophy is right. infused into everything we do and by the time a customer sees that look these are people who are ready to sit with us and work with us as partners mm. to grow this business mm. and whenever there are challenges they sit we all come yeah. around the table mm. to address those challenges together right. because we are stakeholders in the success of their business as well Absolutely. and that that makes it a lot easier for them to, to okay. let me let me stretch that that conversation just a bit more right because uh, you talked about the 617 uh, billion in terms of available financing right so yes. no not available financing, the, the addressable gap the addressable gap yes. absolutely so that 617 billion with the changing outlook um or changing bias of nigerians towards debts because now you, you speak to some nigerians and they actually believe that they have to have debt mm. does it worry you that you are dealing with maybe risky or even now more risky assets <laughs> It's a fact of life. Yeah. And so we have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Worrying about it won't solve the problem. What will solve it is how do we understand the challenge that mm-hmm. that presents? Mm-hmm. And how do we build into our credit decisioning algorithms and processes and systems to make sure that we're able to determine because at the end of the day it's it's our duty to protect our shareholders funds mm-hmm. and make sure that we lend only to credible customers right. who can pay back and who meets the acceptance criteria for our risk assets mm-hmm. right and so it's a win-win for everybody if as we do at primera we approach it from the perspective of okay this is the gap this is the challenge this is the appetite mm-hmm. how do we arrive at systems that are able to clearly tell us right who mm-hmm. is credible mm-hmm who is not right and the actual need of that credible person mm-hmm. and then we address that that's person's specific gap within the bucket of you know, that, that, that's, that that's, that's actually quite interesting because i was just thinking to myself this is nigeria a country where we don't even know how much of oil we, we import right data the data is uh, data you know it's supposed to be yeah. all, it's supposed to be all over the place but now we have to sort of piece precisely piece information together precisely So when you talk about getting data, mm-hmm. can help you assess the creditworthiness. Yes. That's essentially what you're saying. That's essentially it. Yes. So what challenges does, does that pose for you? Huge, massive challenges. Mm-hmm. So we have a system where we we have several buckets mm-hmm. of biometric data mm-hmm. of the same people but sitting in different dimensions. So, I mean, Bimbo, for example, you have a passport. Mm-hmm. You were biometrically, mm-hmm. you know, identified for that. That data sits somewhere. Somewhere, you have a driver's license. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It sits yeah, in another place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a phone. You have a bank account. Yeah. Each of these are data sets that speak to the same person. Absolutely. But they they are scattered all over the place. Mm-hmm. That's even in 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 a situation where, you know there exists such yeah, data absolutely in many cases i mean when you do studies about financial inclusion and all of that mm-hmm. the problem is more around exclusion mm-hmm. right and that is what is being addressed okay now look at look at the imbalance between bvn i 
fully identified BVN customers of banks between 50, not more than 60 million. Mm -hmm. And look at another data set, NIN, mm -hmm. which is approaching 100 million today. Mm -hmm. We're talking of the same people. Mm -hmm. But we have a system where we have a, a differential of almost <laughs> double between Absolutely. one data set and the other. Absolutely. Now imagine what, what would happen if the BVN system is integrated with the NIN system. Mm. Immediately, we've doubled mm. the scope mm. of addressable, identifiable Absolutely. individuals Absolutely. that cleaner, we can then cleaner data. Much cleaner data. Absolutely. Just by the stroke of a pen, literally. Absolutely. We merge those two data sets mm -hmm. and we have a much wider scope with Mm -hmm. clean data Absolutely. that we can deal with. So Absolutely. those are the types of challenges we face. But then I'm, I'm quite happy that um, technology has helped us financial institutions to be very creative mm. in sometimes optimizing mm. um, available data from mm. various sources, cross-analyzing that with available data from these um, biometrically obtained data sets. And we arrive at uh, better so, pictures. So on, it's on a lighter note, you're not, you're not worried about borrowing somebody in Cameroon, uh, your, 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 your funds? Well, somebody in Cameroon is, is outside, is outside, <laughs> outside the jurisdictions that I'm, I'm allowed to. Okay. But in, in a situation where I'm able to, to identify and reach that person and my regulator allows me to, I have no problems whatsoever doing that. Right. Okay, so um, I'm sure you've noticed that um, there are a number of issues with SME owners running their businesses mm -hmm. uh, with their personal accounts. Yes. Instead of sort of registering a business account. Precisely. So they've, they've, funds are commingled. Um, and that sort of speaks a bit to the way the, the governance at those organizations. Yes. Now, these habits can, be, can have had adverse effects, right, mm -hmm. uh, on the financial and operating effectiveness of those businesses. Mm -hmm. What do you think is a lasting solution to helping some of these entrepreneurs see that there's a, there's a difference between uh, the business mm -hmm. and the person running the business. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So fundamentally, let's, let's address one issue. Yeah. Every businessman wants to succeed. Mm. Every businesswoman wants to succeed. And every businessman and woman is ready to do what is necessary, of course, legally, to make that happen. So fundamentally, there is a very strong appetite to do, to 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 do the right things and have the right habits right. for success. But we also need to recognize certain gaps. There's a gap around education, which we are primarily through our SME clinics. You know, we are addressing very very vigorously to educate them around the needs for registration. And when you speak of registration and making their businesses more formal and better governed, mm. what you've described is basically, it's, it's simply a reflect in response to the difficulties yeah. that the average SME owners encounters right. in trying to, say, register their business and operate right. their accounts. Right. So there's a barrier to entry into the formal registered business space. Okay. There are costs that are incurred. Mm. In running a bank account, there are also the barriers of entry right. need to be lowered as well. Mm. So what we need to do from an institutional perspective, yeah. from a societal perspective, from a governance perspective, is to say, look, what are those barriers? What are those obstacles 
at least from the perspective of the SME owners, let's have an honest conversation around how we can lower that and make it easier, make it attractive to become a registered business. Mm. What's wrong with declaring a six-month holiday on the costs of registering a business? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. How much would it cost? And make it efficient as well. Precisely. Not just just holiday, but even make it efficient. Make it efficient, right? So it's a subsidy, but you're subsidizing the right thing. Because what you're doing is you're bringing business, you're bringing a lot of businesses into the formal Formal space. space. They then become more, they then become taxable, you know, and they can, they can, operate in their own right as businesses. So, That's true. I mean, what you describe is usually a reflex to yeah. these problems and yeah. we need to then focus on those, on those and, and, you know, solve them. You know, that leads me to, to an internal question around what the biggest issues are. Yeah. So if I asked you, what's the bigger issue for, for SME yeah. of these mammoth problems? Mm-hmm. Absence of governance and structures at the MS, SMEs mm. or lack of financing? That's a very interesting one. <laughs> and both are very close. Mm. But I would go for absence of governance. Right. Because what that does is it it, it impacts the availability negatively. Mm. Negatively impacts the availability of infrastructure. Right. And for the businesses to run, that infrastructure needs to be provided for. Mm. And you find SMEs having to fund by themselves, the provision of that infrastructure, right. power, security, Absolutely. and so many other things. Um, that absence of governance also leads to the phenomenon of multiple taxation, Absolutely. where you have various government agencies within the same jurisdiction mm-hmm. chasing down MSME owners for various levies and taxes. It's, really, it's, basically, it's basically a gap in governance, just synchronizing and sitting down to say, look, these SME owners are stakeholders in our space. Mm. If they do well, the society we govern does well. So how do we streamline their obligations in terms of taxes and levies and so on mm. and make it easier for them? And in doing so, we even have better transparency, you know, on tax, you know, um, taxes and how much we can get and we plow that back into the infrastructure mm. so you see it's, it's a cycle mm. and this this is some this is something i've seen in my experience cutting across africa i mean i've yeah. worked in various african countries and it's quite interesting how the cultures the languages change but the fundamental challenges are the same doesn't, absolutely you know absolutely okay very good thanks thanks for that um so beyond the struggle for for finances secure finances right the other things that smes also face that are challenges Right, uh, power failures, for mm-hmm. instance, that's availability to, to electricity. Yeah. Right. Uh, lack of um, entrepreneurial education, mm-hmm. insecurity. Exactly. Right? Which is not Huge. an SME problem. That's everybody's Huge. problem. Huge. Everybody it affects right? you and I, yes. And then we've seen that your company has partnered with uh, Infra branches to deliver solar power yes. to businesses via asset financing. Yes. Uh, you've also partnered with the likes of SME Mall mm-hmm. to host webinars on business growth. Yes. Right. Uh, but what has been the impact of these partnerships? Yeah. And what other initiatives uh, do you plan to pursue to ensure that these SMEs uh, thrive? So so the partnerships that you described basically are proofs of concept mm-hmm. from, our, from our perspective. So, right. I mean, let us test the waters and see um, if we can, you know, make a difference working with these partnerships. Mm. And the early results have been very, very encouraging. Okay. So um, when you talk of, when you talk of a situation where um, uh, energy costs are spiraling, 
and there's now a common sense conversation around renewable energy. Mm. The question is how available or how accessible can we make that? And we are partnerships with, um, Infi branches, for example, and a few others that we are currently, you know, discussing with will help to make it more affordable and more available. And we're talking of renewable energy systems cutting across different income brackets. Okay. So something that can be afforded by the roadside uh, barber and, and so on and so forth, right, right up to, you know, mm-hmm. families and, and homes and businesses. So the early results have been have been very, very good. And, and these partnerships have have shown us that this is the way forward. Okay. And we we are set to announce a number of other partnerships, okay. you know, in the near future that speak to the various areas of impact okay. that we're looking to make. Anyone that you're meant to share now? Not that at the moment. <laughs> I'm keeping it close to my chest for now. Um, we're, we're still we're still bound under non-disclosure <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, situation That's at the awesome. moment, but we'll, we'll come out with announcements sooner right. than later. All right, so, sounds good. Um, and then there was a report recently, uh, State of Entrepreneurship in Nigeria, so 20, 2021 report, a 2021 report mm. uh, by the Faith Institute uh, that revealed that 67% of entrepreneurs in Nigeria are between 18 and 35 years old. Mm-hmm. So we're basically seeing a rise of a rapid rise of young business owners. Exactly. Right. Um, so what's the strategy to attract this, attract and retain this set of people? Yes. Um, do you have any customized customized products in the works to address these people? And does any part of this concern you or give you any concerns? No concerns, rather excitement. Okay. Because the, and, and this is inevitable. I mean, the demographic change points very clearly mm-hmm. to the fact that this is the, this is, this will be, I mean, the young, younger people um, are now the force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. At Primera, we are digital first. Okay. And the demographic you described yeah. Are digital first, digital natives as well. So it's actually for me really exciting. It gives us an opportunity to look at new ways of repositioning our products, mm-hmm. new ways of creating access to those products on a self-service basis okay. for such you know um, customers, mm-hmm. and knowing full well that these are customers who are more comfortable with being assessed for you know their viability in a right. digital way and then and and therefore would be quite ready to engage you know um along that dimension right. so for us it's it's a huge so this is an, ali- it's an alignment with your current it, strategy it, because it completely you know, digital is. these are young and up and coming uh, group who are also digital completely so it's a meeting of minds pretty absolutely much. that's that's why we're really excited about it okay yeah of course because today intercon- interconnectedness is a significant characteristic of today's society, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Internet of Things, IoT plays a big part. Mm. Exchange mm. of data um, is pretty much how you run business today, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but embedding finance uh, is an integrated or is integrated in financial services today, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, to elevate client experience and software unification mm-hmm. is also helping to yield consistent and efficient global uh, operations globally, right? Yes. Um, but let me ask you, so how have you leveraged technology, mm-hmm. right? Interconnectedness, mm-hmm. IoT, mm-hmm. right? To improve your customer's experience or to deliver the customer, let me put that way, to deliver customer experience. Yes. Right. 
And if you haven't, what are your, or what are your plans to enhance that? Mm-hmm. If you're in it, and if you haven't, what are your plans to do so? Yeah, I mean, thanks. Great question. So the first thing, the first thing we need to understand is the process that lands any business at automation, which is the end goal, yeah. at least for now, mm-hmm. and that then opens up, you know, possibilities for Internet of Things, okay. IoT, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is you need to digitize okay. everything around you. So, for example. Whereas somebody engaged with the bank by filling out a paper form, mm-hmm. you move those forms to electronic okay. forms. And the existing forms you have in your records, you digitize them and make them available electronically. There's also sort of archive management system. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Then you look at your processes as well. Okay. How many of those are hugely dependent on you know manual interventions and so on? And you need to then significantly whittle that down. What that does when you digitize your processes is that it creates better transparency. You're able to really understand how well or how not well, so to speak, that you're serving your customer. And when you create such an ecosystem, such a transparent ecosystem, it makes, it gets you ready Mm. for automation because automation is driven by, I mean, it's driven by bots, it's driven by, Logic is driven by algorithms. These are not animate, right? And they can only interface with, you know, um, digital platforms as well. Okay. So for us, we are on that journey. And, you know, the word journey, I'm using that deliberately because that is really what it is. It's Mm -hmm. an evolution. Mm -hmm. But we're really happy with the pace that we've made at Primary Microfinance Bank on that journey. And we're, we're very happy with the partnerships that, you know, we have established Mm. that help us along those lines and uh, the the results we've seen across various impact areas our client experience management our lending funnel right from origination through to managing the portfolio our data management and analytics even our costs management and expense management systems have now been digitized Mm. our sales and marketing has been digitized Mm. our human human capital management Mm. internal to the firm we've digitized all of that Mm. all those all, all those, all the systems and processes that support these areas I've described, mm. I've described. We've digitized them, and we are getting them ready for automation, Fantastic. which will then open us up to possibilities that IoT presents. Fantastic. Okay, so let's let's now even focus a bit more on, on technology, right? Yeah, because we're in a, a digitized world. Absolutely. Right. So I think yes, and one of the the key emerging technologies, or one of the technologies that is even setting the pace these days is blockchain. Yes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of financial institutions world over um, have keyed into blockchain. Yes. Right. Um, given that access to finance is a core concern for SMEs, how do you think blockchain can drive the sector? And what impact can it have on financiers, right? And other financial institutions? Yeah. Blockchain, blockchain carries really, really huge potential. Very strong, right? And um, the use cases that become most apparent are in the B2B payment space, business-to-business payment space, right? Offering financial solutions. And we, we, we are seeing global firms like Amex, Visa, MasterCard building such capabilities and investing in them. We've also seen a couple of companies that, you know, have attracted seed capital, you know, to fund that. The question, though, is... When we look at the Nigerian context, 
from the customer side and from the financing side, the banks, and from the regulatory dimension as well. How comfortable, how ready are we to adopt blockchain? We've seen globally a certain unease from the regulatory perspective around adopting blockchain. And that is completely understandable. Mm. Regulation thrives on transparency, openness. Blockchain, uh, the, the underlying principle around blockchain is almost in the opposite. It, 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 there's a certain anonymity, so to speak, right. around the players in that space. Bridging that gap, the ability to bridge that gap is what will significantly expand our ability to leverage it. But looking at it purely from what that technology, blockchain technology offers, are there very strong use cases? Is there a business case for it? Yes, there is. Clearly, across various dimensions. I talked about B2B payments. But for us to participate, especially as a regulated entity, the regulatory angle and the comfort of the regulatory body or bodies needs to be addressed. So there has to be a dialogue that puts everyone at ease no, but around the, how but we... But the concerns we, of the regulatory body, is it specifically around blockchain or around cryptocurrency? Because cryptocurrency leverages blockchain. Precisely. However, the regulators have expressed concerns over crypto because it's a currency. Yes. But in terms of the blockchain technology, I mean, is that is that something you think the regulators will be averse to welcoming? For me, the jury is still out. Um, I don't see an aversion. I, I rather see a willingness to interrogate further. I mean, like you said, cryptocurrency is a derivative of our blockchain. The question is, okay, what other derivatives of blockchain would come up and how do we deal? Mm-hmm. Are we able to deal? That That's really the fundamental question, right? So whereas, um, you know, the point of argument was around cryptocurrency, I think fundamentally what it was, what it really was is, what is this thing called blockchain? What What's this animal? What else can it throw at us in the future? How well, how better can we understand it? How better can we integrate it in a way and manner that um, does not uh, does not create certain risks that that would be unpalatable to to players in the industry and probably you know, create some imbalance in the system, I think. You know, you know, I like the fact that you've talked about the journey, you know, because I think any any organization that is not on a journey, right, is either in a place of complacency, mm-hmm. which inevitably means a decline in business, right? And so the journey death. means you are on the path of continuous improvement. Yes. Whether you are small, looking to be big, or big, becoming to be even bigger, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. But I think for me, uh, for Primera, but the question for me is, is Prima, when is Primera going to key into um, blockchain? When are we going to see Primera, Primera saying we're going into blockchain, right? Um, in this journey. Yes. Right? Yes. So this journey of yours, when, when do we see? Give us a time, a time, a timeline. And it's 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 not possible, honestly. It's impossible <laughs> to give a timeline now, you, and you know that, right? Um, again, we are we are regulated, okay. right? But what we are happy to see is we're happy to see our regulators really begin to come out with, you know, discussion papers and working papers around um, how this uh, the financial system can leverage a lot of these technologies, right? And so it's, it's very welcome. We would rather work at the p- 
pace yeah. of both, and and there, there's there's a tension. Let's let's be very clear about that. There's a tension between what the market wants, the opportunities it sees, yeah. and you know what the what's what the pace of of adoption from from industry and regulation is. Right. Managing that balance and that tension really is key. So while at this point. Quite clearly, nobody can give a timeline, at least from our perspective. What I can say is that sooner than later, um, we we will arrive at those milestones yeah. that make you know those uh, those possibilities available. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. And then, um, you know, um, in financial services, right? Specifically, um, we've seen that automation is helping businesses unlock a lot of value. Yes, through things like improved revenues. Uh, customer service and customer access, mm-hmm. being efficient, risk management, mm-hmm. right? Even at PwC, right? Um, one of the pillars of our strategy is being digital. Mm-hmm. And that's in two folds for us. Yeah. So one fold in everything we do in PwC is digital. Precisely. We have a global partnership with Google. All our, When we, there was a, the pandemic, we were able to work seamlessly. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we had... A, so did we, we actually, at Primera, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And then, of course, the second um, leg is how we engage our clients. Mm-hmm. We engage our clients with digital solutions. Precisely. Ways that they can be optimized. Yeah. So for you, what role has digitalization uh, automation played in your internal processes and your service delivery? Massive. Massive, massive role. And it's it's something that we're very excited about. Right. I mean, take for example, we've, we've grown as a business mm. very strongly year on year over the past two years from customer count number of transactions the balance sheets give us the size pick one of those metrics and tell us i mean i mean so so for example we've we've um between 2020 and now we've more than doubled our balance sheet in in two and a half years Profitability also has followed that same that same traction, that same trend. Excellent. In terms of our customer size, we've doubled our customer size as well. And we're able to serve those customers very, very comfortably right. without expanding our headcount. Right. Our, our headcount has stayed the same. If if I mean, quite frankly, it has actually fallen a bit. And what that says is that we've acquired the capacities to, you know, run a bigger business serve more customers, but with fewer people. The only way to do that is by digitization and automation. And so the fact that I can, I can, you know, share these facts clearly tells anybody. So what, so what is it to skeptics? People, there are people that, that don't believe that significant technology spend results in, in improved business performance and savings on the road. What is it to say skeptics are, are about that, around that? I would say if you are averse to investing in technology, you're investing in the gradual death of your business. Wow. And that's, there's that's no profound. other way to put it. That's yeah, profound. It's just the truth. That's profound. Thank you. I think maybe my final question um, as we close out this session is that what do you hope the next 10 years will look like for SMEs and the Nigerian economy? Uh, and what role, more importantly, is Primera going to play in achieving this future? I think with the relatively little that we at Primary Microfinance Bank have at our, at our disposal and how we've been able to deploy those resources, it is very clear that our ambitions 
are very strongly aligned towards growing the Nigerian economy from the SME space up. And as we grow those SMEs and they continue banking with us, we will grow. That's how we see ourselves growing. We see ourselves growing through the prosperity we are able to create for our customers. Excellent. And when 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 we when we arrive at that point, we want to in ten years time look back mm. on where we are today and be very proud standing with our partners, our SMEs, who, who by then would be corporates, right? They would no longer be termed SMEs because they would have grown. And then make ourselves available to the next generation of SMEs who wants to grow to become what we have become and who want to take from the example that our customers are able to display to, to you know, to to attain such heights and we will all be better for it as far as the Nigerian economy is concerned. And we're, we're absolutely committed to achieving that, that dream. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think before you go, um, so we have a number of questions for you. Three questions. On More the, on questions. The, I yes, love that. Uh, Let's go. Yeah. So we're, we're over <laughs> with the formal interview, but I think now we just want to take you into, um, three questions that will tell us more about, uh, uh, Umana, right? Okay. Uh, one, all right. The okay. first one here is actually there are four questions, but okay. I'll tell you about the last question. In okay. Moment, right. Uh, the three questions. The first one here is um, what's one of one view you, you seem to find very few people agree on? Hmm. Hmm. I would say. This is even harder than the, the initial question. Right? Absolutely. I mean, this, this, this is tougher. I think the most difficult thing a human being can achieve is change. Mm. And I think the most difficult question, especially if you have a group of people, is how do we achieve that change? And in my experience, it's, it's easier to talk about change and way more difficult to actually carry out change. Okay. And debate around what change means and how how change will be carried out, I think is 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 a topic that I find there are as many perspectives as there are people, and that always that makes for a very healthy, very very healthy and robust debate. Okay, that's one. So you so you, like I was saying the um, from the previous interviewer. That yes. we had or interview yes we that we had here mm-hmm. um he uh answered a number of uh questions mm-hmm. right? like you've know, done today yes but um we don't let our interviewees go without <laughs> throwing in questions for the next uh interviewee fair enough so we're here now and i'm about to tell you what he asked you to answer okay and you also have the opportunity to ask our next interviewee what his own question will be right? perfect so his question, um, I think the, this is from the CEO of uh, Kuda. Right? Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay, great. He says, do you use digital finance products? Why or why not? I use digital. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, personally, I, I use I use digital finance products, payments mostly. Um, no, not, not, not loans or lending. But yeah, I, I use that all. The, I use them all the time, and I use them because they 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 just make life easier for me. I'm able to make my payments. I'm able to see them, and it's yeah. I mean, it, it's it's convenient. 
So I think it's the ease and the convenience that it brings that attracts me to them. And um, I'm huge. I run my I run my my life literally on digital on digital products. Yeah. All right. All right. Very yeah. good. Okay. So now that you've answered. Uh, that question. Mm-hmm. So tell us my what, turn. What's uh, yes, it's on. <laughs> Absolutely, it's on. What do you want the next person to answer? So I, I'd like the next interviewee to 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 answer the question around disruption. Mm. Where does he or she see disruption evolving in the financial services space in Nigeria? And what specific dimensions, if he or she you know, can share where does he or she see the potential impact areas and impact scopes of that next phase of disruption in the in the Nigerian financial services right. space. Right. Uh, that's that's what I'm. I'm All right, fantastic. Looking to. Know. I hope that will make for a, a very uh, difficult question. <laughs> so thank you very much, Umana, for coming to PwC's uh, podcast studio. And uh, looking forward to having you again and again. Right? Thank you. Thank uh, you so thank much. You. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so very much, people. Right, thank thank you. you.